0: Hello, my rebels. Today, I take you through the tumult, am I saying that word right, of the Conservative Party Policy Convention. On Friday night, Aaron O'Toole challenges his party members. He says, you're not allowed to debate global warming anymore. Debate is over. You're a denier if you do. And the party said, yeah, uh, we'll do what we want. And 54 percent of them voted against an Aaron O'Toole-style resolution on global warming. I think that Aaron O'Toole caused the whole problem himself by emphasizing global warming. What a weird thing to talk about in the middle of the COVID lockdown. I'll go through it and I'll show you excerpts from his speech and the reaction of my party members. But before I do, let me invite you to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber. It's eight bucks a month or 80 bucks if you buy the whole year in advance. And it really helps us pay our bills, you know, because we don't get any money from Trudeau, unlike the other guys. So please go to rebelnews.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. And I you get the video version of the podcast, is what you get. And shows by Sheila Gunnery, David Menzies, and Andrew Chapateau. So there's a lot there. I hope you do. Here's today's podcast. Tonight, Erin O'Toole issues an ultimatum to Conservative Party members. And they rebuke him. It's March 22nd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. The Conservative Party had their convention a few days ago. On Friday afternoon, Sheila gunn Reid and I had... Live coverage of leader Aaron O'Toole's keynote speech to the convention. Remember, the convention was held online only because of the lockdown, so it was a bit awkward. The leader's speech is usually an emotional and energy highlight of the convention. It's tough to do that in an empty room. I mean, this is the part where you're supposed to hear a big round of applause, a standing ovation, lots of cheers.
1: I am proud to lead this great party. I am proud to be a kid from Bowmanville running to be Prime Minister of Canada. And together, we are going to secure the future for this great country.
0: Yeah, it reminded me of those YouTube uh, clips that show you just how unfunny primetime comedies are without their laugh track. Have you ever seen something like this?
1: Ah! Nothing makes beer taste better than cool, clear, Rocky Mountains spring water. Where are the Rocky Mountains, anyway? Philadelphia. Really, I thought they were out west someplace. Think about it, Raj. Where did the movie Rocky take place? Philadelphia. Okay, now I get it. So, this is the plan. From now on, we're just gonna hide out in here to avoid the shamey. I'm very comfortable here. Penny, dear, why don't you shoot another silver bullet my way? Get one yourself. Ooh, somebody's been taking bitchy pills. God, he's an ass when he drinks. Oh, he's an ass when he doesn't. You just don't hear it. I think we need to start entertaining the possibility that the shame he could go on for years. If that's the case, Penny will have to get satellite TV and maybe once a week want to vacuum through this place.
0: I really think that's the analogy. When you hear a politician give a speech in front of a live crowd of partisans, their cheering is pretty much guaranteed. So it makes the speech seem a a lot better, a lot stronger, a lot more persuasive. You are psychologically cued to feel that way because everyone else is applauding. You strip it of the applause and it's like a TV comedy without the laugh track telling you what was funny. I actually think it's a lot more real to hear the words without your mind being tricked that it's awesome because some partisans are clapping on command. And so it was that both Sheila and I were struck by the same comments that O'Toole made in his speech. There were a lot of weird things, but the emphasis on global warming was the weirdest. I mean, seriously, we're we're a year into a pandemic, or more accurately, a year into the lockdowns. The unemployment rate is nearly 10% in Canada, the worst in the G7. The debt is so high, there's a unanimous fear of inflation and interest rate hikes. Our civil liberties have been trounced. Bizarre government rules against travel not only crack down on our freedoms, but are imperiling a huge swath of our economy. I mean, Air Canada and WestJet will die if something is not yet done, not done soon. And then there's the oil patch, which has had its lifeline cut off, well, I guess one at a time. Trudeau killed three pipelines in Canada and then. He sat by quietly as Joe Biden killed the fourth, the keystone XL. There's a lot going on, real things. Uh, Even foreign affairs is more sour than ever. Literally this week, two Canadian hostages were put on trial uh, last weekend today, a show trial in China. And our ambassador to China actually hasn't even bothered to say a word about it because he's Dominic Barton. He used to be the big boss at the international consulting firm McKinsey. He was in charge of China for them. They have huge business dealings in China. I think he wanted to be ambassador just to polish his China credentials so that after he's done being ambassador in a few years, he can go back to McKinsey and do even more business deals in China. So speaking out for the two Michaels is an obvious thing that any ambassador would do, but it would be a disaster for him and for McKinsey to do. So he's protecting his future income from China and ignoring our two hostages over there. That's That just seems to be what he's doing. I know China and foreign affairs are not a pocketbook issue, but it's a national pride issue. I think our country is being disgraced over the China issues. And then there's just all the wokeness in Canada, the cancel culture everywhere from universities to social media. So that's all real stuff, I think. And I think all those issues are the worst ever. But the leader of the Conservative Party, the leader of the opposition chooses instead that he thinks the big issue is global warming? Now, in 2021, global warming, I mean, seriously, when was the last time you even saw that child actor, Greta Thunberg? The whole eco-extremist movement has been put in the fridge for the last year. No one really cares. I don't think they ever really did. And by the way, those activists that can't travel now, they're not really allowed to have mass protests now. Everyone has bigger concerns now. Seriously, where's Greta? The answer is living rent-free in Aaron O'Toole's mind, I think. Actually, I knew things were off to a bad start in the speech when one of the very first things O'Toole said was, party members have to change. Ooh, pardon me? What? You mean Canadian politics has to change because you're, you're in a pre-election campaign? So Canadian politics has to change, or Trudeau has to change, or the government has to change, or the lockdown has to change, or some law has to change? No, no, no. He, f- he says some party has to change. That's what he's passionate about. The party that just elected him, he's springing some news on them. He doesn't like them the way they are. They were good enough for him to vote for him. Uh, He liked them then. But now that he's got that in hand, they have to change now because he says so. It's a surprise. As we all know,
1: the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the world. Canada has changed. Our party
0: has to change too. Okay, so what change does he mean? Well, like I say, it's about global warming. It was so out of the blue. It's 2021, he's talking about global warming. It was really weird. The first thing O'Toole said was, I know everyone's waiting for me to talk about global warming. No, actually, I don't think anyone was, except maybe some global warming lobbyists and some liberals.
1: There's been a lot of speculation about what I'm gonna say about climate change in this speech. To those who are expecting a dramatic moment, I'm afraid you'll be disappointed. But I will say this. From the first days of my campaign to lead our party, I've said two things consistently. One, we all want a green future for our children. We cannot ignore the reality of climate change. The debate is over.
0: That's so weird. But this was the part that got to me. So he said, there's no more debate allowed about the subject. It just, there just isn't even though there is debate in, in real life. Um, what What's causing it? How much is it? Did humans do it? Can anything be done about it? What's the best way if we're going to do so? There's a lot to debate. Parliament debates on it all the time. But he's saying the debate is over, you're just not allowed to anymore. And keep in mind, he said this in the middle of a party policy conference that was specifically tasked with debating issues, dozens of issues. So it's a debating session to debate things. And the party leader just said, sorry, no debating. By the way, he also said, hey, Alberta and Saskatchewan, you oil patch places, I know you're hurting, but I got good news for you guys. And he never really said what the good news was other than he was gonna be prime minister. Hey, how's that for awesome? Yeah, no, that's not quite working. It's not quite working. So so you've got to change, you party members, Everyone important is waiting for me to say something about global warming. And no one else in the party is allowed to say anything about global warming. Have you ever heard of that before from Aaron O'Toole until now? I mean, did did you hear any of that from him during the leadership race? Did he campaign in Alberta and Saskatchewan saying, you guys are going to have to shut up about global warming, okay? Of course not. Like everything else, it's a complete flip-flop on what he ran on. He no longer calls... For the CBC to be privatized, he no longer believes in free speech or opposes cancel culture. He no longer opposes foreign aid. He loves it now. He's big into the Liberal Party's net zero carbon plan. This is all a surprise to party members. And by the way, you party members are the ones who have to change. You just have to because he says so. I thought it was bizarre and weird. And without the laugh track, it felt especially clangy. If only he attacked Trudeau with the same vigor that he attacks conservative party members and even MPs who disagree with them. And he used that language that Catherine McKenna and the hard left uses for climate skeptics. He appropriates the language of the Holocaust. You're a Holocaust denier if you dispute that it happened. You're a climate denier if you don't believe it's happening or is human-caused or can be solved by people. Um, he, said, uh, he said this. And I will not allow... 338
1: candidates to defend against the lie from the liberals that we are a party of climate change deniers. We will have a plan to address climate change.
0: It will be comprehensive and it will be serious. I think the party was stunned to hear that. And um, look what they did to him the very next day. Uh, here's a story in CTV. Um, Party members voted by 54% against a policy resolution that would have had these words in them. We recognize that climate change is real. The conservative party is willing to act. Now I tell you, I, I was looking for the full text of the resolution, it's a little bit hard to find. The conservative party won't publish their debates online. They've deleted the link from their main website to the convention website but I managed to dig up the resolution. Here's what it actually said. It was quite long, actually. Um, You can take a look at it here on page nine of their policy debates. Uh, It's got lots of cliches in it. I like some of it, sort of. We believe that an effective international emissions reduction regime on climate change must be truly global and must include binding targets for all the world's major emitters, including China and the United States. All right, well, now that will never happen, of course. China is specifically exempt from making reductions. They're in fact allowed to increase their emissions. But even if China was bound by the rules, why does Canada have to reduce our industry, our emissions for a harmless, colorless, odorless gas that's the stuff of life, especially when we have the biggest force in the world that sop up carbon dioxide. In fact, carbon dioxide is necessary for photosynthesis. I know fancy people roll their eyes when you mention that basic fact, but no one is even talking about this whole issue right now. No one's even talked about this debate in over a year. What kind of weirdo thinks this is the key issue to lean into weeks before in a federal election? I'll read some more. This is from the resolution that was voted down by 54%. We believe that Canada should create a program to heighten public awareness to the economic benefits of environmental solutions which minimize the waste of resources. What? So you want to create a program to tell people it's not good to waste things? This, this is high school model parliament level policy. Here's the key line that the media reported. We, <clears throat> we recognize that climate change is real. The conservative party is willing to act. Well, what, what is it prepared to do to act? What part is real? I mean, of course it's real. You've heard of the ice ages, right? And you know we're not really in an ice age. Well, the poles are still covered in ice, so technically we are in a minor ice age, but North America is not covered in ice as it was just 10,000 years ago. Look, I don't think anyone in the world denies that the climate changes over time. The question is what causes it, and can it be stopped and should it be stopped? Isn't it better when it's warm? And what policies are we gonna do using climate change as the excuse? This resolution wasn't serious at all about any of that. I can see why grassroots members were either grossed out by it or insulted by it or genuinely worried by it. It was such a mishmash, so amateur, and it talked about new programs and new spending. I'm not surprised that it lost, and I'm glad it did. And I think it would have no matter what, but I truly think that the ambush-style speech by O'Toole the night before ensured that it lost. A leader with no mandate on the subject suddenly lectures party members saying they have to change, they can't talk about things he says they can't, they have to obey him, and they're deniers if they don't? Yeah, no, they put him in his place. He hasn't earned cult leader status yet. No one knows him, let alone trusts him. He's sort of a placeholder for now. He hasn't earned anything yet. The media had a field day, and by that I mean the media party. Here's the CBC. They loved it. So did all the media. But what was fascinating was I think O'Toole actually liked the fight with his own party. I mean, check this out. Catherine McKenna, she was cheering for him. Elizabeth May, the Green Party, she was cheering for him. Liberal MPs, they're rooting for him. Even the liberal war room was cheering for him. Now, normally, if you're the leader of a conservative party, you want to offend and discomfort and worry the other parties, your rivals. It's a zero-sum game. Uh, There's only 338 MPs. Only one person can be PM. You want the other guys to be upset with you, to oppose to you. Don't you think it's a little bit of a warning light when Trudeau's party is unanimously cheering for you? Here's Gerald Butts, for heaven's sakes, cheering for Aaron O'Toole. And the thing is, they mean it. It's not a psyop. It's not a trick. They see that he has capitulated to them on a core issue. They see he's at war with his own party members now. They see he's attacking them. They love it. They want to pour salt into the wounds. They love it. But more than that, they see that he has, for some bizarre reason, made this the big news item coming out of his policy convention, global warming. No one else in the country was talking about it, but... Trudeau is sure glad O'Toole is. Imagine if instead O'Toole was talking about the lockdowns and, I don't know, the insane quarantine hotels at airports and civil liberties, and all that stuff um, that he could win on. Instead, he's talking about the Liberal Party's favorite subject. It would be like if Trudeau suddenly gave a keynote speech to his party, telling his party they have to really focus on ethics or on pipelines. No, no, no. He hates talking about those things. It's only degrees of losing for him. He loves to talk about global warming. That's all winning for him. And Aaron O'Toole has chosen to help? I note that the Conservative Party policy book has had blather about global warming in it for years. I concede that. They weren't particularly great on the issue, but it was either discounted or ignored. By everyone involved, it's all just talking points and jargon and mishmash. But Aaron O'Toole is the one who said to the media, watch me emphasize this. Watch me declare the issues off limits. Watch me tame my own party on this. He announced the issue as the thing his party had to change, and they said, yeah, no thanks. He did this to himself. He emphasized this. He chose these headlines. And I think he's actually loving it. I think he still thinks he's winning on all this. Here's a party boss saying, it doesn't matter what the party members say, they're going ahead with Aaron O'Toole's point of view. Yeah, we know, we know. Which is why the party is sagging in the polls, which is why Aaron O'Toole has not had a honeymoon. Look, if you're in the 20s in the polls, maybe it's time to stop throwing away party members, time to stop kicking out MPs, trying to to stop calling members deniers, telling them they're wrong and they just have to shut up. (laughs) Just an idea. He's going to get slaughtered in the election, isn't he? Stay with us for more. Well, I am very excited. There is a new book out by our good friend Mark Morano. It's called Green Fraud. Why the Green New Deal is even worse than you think. Obviously of great importance to Americans, but unfortunately, Justin Trudeau seems to be tracking the language of the Green New Deal almost word for word. He even uses that phrase "build back better." Well, the book goes on sale right now, and in fact, we've got a link on the Amazon page under this video. Joining us now via Skype is the author, Mark Morano. Mark, great to see you again. You've had a lot of great bestsellers on the issue of global warming. Tell me a little bit about Green Fraud and what it brings uh, to our readers. Thank
2: you, Ezra. Yes, Green Fraud uh, releases March 23rd wherever fine books are sold, including Amazon, which hasn't banned books that challenge the United Nations and the Green New Deal yet. Um, But the book deals with the fraud of this whole movement, and the the gist of it is if we actually had to rely on the Green New Deal or the UN-Paris Agreement to save us, we'd all be doomed. And the fraud involved here is there is no climate emergency and something like the Green New Deal, even if we faced it, would have no impact on global emissions, let alone global climate, regardless of of your views on the science of climate change. This is a Trojan horse of changing our lives to be beholden to bureaucrats on nearly every single aspect of our lives. And they're using the climate scare to achieve their ends, much the way uh, the people have used COVID to achieve their ends in terms of lockdown and regulations and enforcing tyranny. You know, it's funny. I pay
0: close attention to the words that the global warming types use, especially in Canada. And the phrase I keep hearing is fighting global warming or or climate change or combating climate change. So it's the verb. They never say solving it, fixing it, ending it, reversing it. They never even say slowing it down. Because as I think you're just trying to make the point, even if we accept the premise, which I don't, that uh, global warming is bad and that it's caused by people, if you accept those premises, let's say you're a total believer, the prescriptions offered by the Democrats, by Justin Trudeau, none of them, even the UN's prescriptions, none of them actually stop that megatrend, do they?
2: No, they don't. And even recently, and I include quotes from John Kerry, the climate envoy of the Biden administration, former Secretary of State, who openly admits it, that even if the United States went down to zero, it would have no impact on the basically the emissions or the climate. The UN-Paris agreement admitted this. And you're exactly right. There is no criteria by which to solve the crisis. And the same is true you know, with the COVID law. You know, there's no set criteria. So what happens is, we don't know, like with the global temperature reaches X, we can end the provisions of the Green New Deal. They don't offer us that because you should want the Green New Deal regardless of anything. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mm-hmm. And, if, and if, you don't, if you don't like it, well, you, we have a problem with you. And the same thing, if you don't like a COVID lockdown, they can cut your water off. They can cut your utilities if you don't comply. This is not some great idea that we can all rally behind. This is an idea that's being imposed upon us using the climate scare. The Green New Deal has nothing to do with climate and I quote the architects for the Green New Deal. I go in great detail about the history, the origin. Of course, it goes back to the United Nations sustainable agenda development. It goes back even further to the 1960s with the overpopulation scare because all the solutions that they came up with to the uh, overpopulation scare and even the global cooling scare all mirrored today's Green New Deal uh, restrictions on all aspects of human endeavors. Hmm. You know, when you said the COVID lockdown and, uh, you know, there are some cases of
0: power being turned off to people who don't comply. I've seen cases of judges denying parents access to their children in, in divorced families if one parent is offside with mask Uh, policy. So we see extreme meddling in private life, private property, family life using COVID as a template. I think it is no longer unthinkable that you have a climate lockdown that has similar invasiveness into your life because they've shown they can get away with it. Same junk science. In some
2: cases, the same people making the arguments. It is, yes. In fact, Neil Ferguson's uh, COVID model and the spectacular failure of it is very small microcosm. It's an example of the entire climate debate. Come up with scary predictions, come up with your solution, COVID's a lockdown and climate, climate's a green new deal or climate lockdown. And then, you know, if it doesn't come as bad as you think, take credit for your policies saving the planet. You know, if you put a rabbit's foot in your pocket and you don't have a car accident, guess what? Your rabbit's foot saved you from a horrible accident. That's what they think of when they, that's what a lockdown is to the left, but they don't really care if the lockdown works, they don't really care if the Green New Deal impacts the climate. What they care about is fear. And uh, Jane Fonda said it best, COVID is God's gift to the left. It mm. gave them everything that climate activists wanted in the form of COVID. And so what's happened now, I have a whole chapter on how the left is lusting. The climate activists are lusting after the attention and the, and the uh, policies that were thrown the way of COVID. They're jealous. Of climate, of COVID lockdowns, and they openly talk about wanting climate lockdowns. <laughs> John Kerry, Al Gore, Greta Thunberg, you know, UN climate change, they all openly say that we can do it for the climate. We can do it for COVID. We can do it for COVID. We can do it for the climate. And you even have John Kerry saying the parallels are screaming at us. It's the same solution. In other words, the mighty hand of government crushing individual liberty, freedom, uh, market economies is the same solution that they want. It's what they've always wanted. They've talked openly for decades about degrowth and planned recessions to fight global warming. What is the Green New Deal, but a planned recession on our economy in the name of climate instead of COVID? Mark, I gotta tell you, in Canada, we have a fairly
0: new leader of the Conservative Party. His name is Aaron O'Toole. I'm pretty sure that no Americans ever heard of him, and I don't know how long he's gonna be the leader, but I am a conservative in my bones. And it pains me to tell you, and I, I'm pretty sure you, you didn't know this, but on Friday, he gave his speech to the party's policy convention, and he used the phrase climate deniers, uh, yeah. and, and he said that the debate is over, and he said the party has to change. Now, the next day, the party rebuked him, rejecting a resolution to that effect, 54% to 46%. So there's this fissure In the party, obviously parties want their leader to do well, but that was just too much to swallow for grassroots members who were sort of shocked by the conservative leader using the rhetoric of the left, deniers, the debate is over. My biggest beef, I mean, if it would win him the election, at least I could understand it, but it doesn't seem to be moving any of his poll numbers. It's just alienating the base. Here's my main thesis, and I just said this in my monologue today, we're in 2021. Who's even focused on global warming? I, I bet if you ask yeah. people unprompted, they would say, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about the debt. I'm worried about civil liberties. I'm worried about, you know, unemployment. Like, there's a lot of real things at the pandemic. Maybe they're worried about getting COVID. I don't know, but I just think that unprompted, if you said, how do you, is global warming your priority? I don't think if you said that unprompted, you, you're going to, that you would get that answer unprompted, I mean. And, and I'm boggling my mind thinking, who is even focused on this stuff? I know the lobbyists are and those who want to spend money on their friends are, but is there a poll? Is there a demand from the populace for this?
2: No, no. In fact, it, it, last year, uh, I think it was the fall of last year, the Harris polling CEO said that climate has dropped off the map and the map in the era of COVID it doesn't even show up in top 10 top 15 polling numbers of any concern as an issue but here's the thing and i detail this in green fraud they're now using the covid scare to tie it into climate in other words unchecked climate change will mean more viruses and that's why we need you know the solutions to climate change and beyond that the uk house of commons speaker actually said he was so impressed by how and shocked by how compliant the public was on the COVID lockdowns that he wants to go right to a climate lockdown. They're using these COVID lockdowns as a form to, of, of the Green New Deal to impose it on us without a vote. In other words, right now you have the Biden administration, executive orders coming out, banning you know, fracking death of a thousand cuts, uh, going after Keystone Pipeline, but even more importantly, In every single department of Biden, it has become a, quote, climate agency. So it's State Department, Interior Department, Defense Department. Climate is becoming front and center. And they're going after it economically. They're going to go after banks and financing and and and, and, um, taking away investments from fossil fuels. So that is a way you can achieve the Green New Deal without the public not only not voting on it, but not even being aware it's happening behind the scenes. And that is where this is really sinister. And I go into detail about how they're going to try to impose the Green New Deal without a vote of Congress.
0: Yeah. You know, it reminds me, we were talking to our friend, Dr. Patrick Moore, and he said, there's some similarities. The enemy is invisible. You can't check it yourself, both COVID and climate. You have to listen to the experts. They use models that are almost always wrong. The similarities are strong. I think that no one actually acted like they were afraid of climate they might tell a pollster they were afraid of it, but then they you know, obviously got in their car and whatever. I mean, there's nothing more fun than going to a global warming rally and asking people how they got there. That that's used to be a <laughs> hobby of mine, but um, they actually got people scared for the COVID and they saw how compliant people are. I find it terrifying. Some people I think have reacted and realized the whole thing was a, a scare, but I think some people have been scared for life. There are some people, I think, who for the rest of their lives are going to live in terror. And I find this deeply depressing. And I think there's a chance that this green fraud you write about in your book by the same name will, will take root. The book, again, just for those who are joining us, Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. Mark, I'm sure it is worse than I think, but I think it's more likely now than ever to
2: happen because we've been conditioned to obey for the yes. last year. Yeah, in fact, I have a whole section too in the book, how that jealousy has spawned proposals. I go into the the um, climate adding climate change to death certificates, and we already have the American Cancer Society saying cancer is worse because of global warming. The U.S. Department of Transportation: climate change is causing more fatal car accidents. Al Gore has you know claiming that every organ of your body is affected by climate change. So if you die of organ failure, a car crash. Uh, or uh, cancer, and actually, if even if you're shot, if you're sh- if you're a minority and you're shot by a white cop, racism is part is caused by climate change. All of those can now be listed as a climate change death. You can actually see CNN now uh, in the mainstream media with their daily death tolls of climate change. So they're going to learn, adapt, and they're going to also. What I think the biggest lesson of this, Ezra, isn't even public persuasion of how they're going to try to scare people. I think they realize you declare an emergency and you do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. And that's what every blue state, Democrat state governor, that's what every tin pot dictator across the uh, the world has done. You have a public health emergency. You can suspend democracy. You can suspend parliament. You don't need it. We have to act decisively and immediately. And that is what President Biden is being urged to declare this national climate emergency. That is the real fear here. They don't need no stinking polling. They don't yeah. need no stinking democracy. They just need your A public declaration, a a, a health declaration, or a climate emergency, and they can do whatever the hell they want. That's what we're facing, and that's why I have a whole chapter on the Great Reset and Build Back Better and the whole world economic forum. They're trying to collapse our present system and build it back up in the bureaucratic, centrally planned image.
0: Wow, that's terrifying and very compelling. I'm going to go buy your book right now. I want to especially read that chapter on The Great Reset. It's something we've been focused on up here. Mark, it's great to see you. We're very excited that you stopped by to announce your book. Folks, I just want to say its title again, it's called Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. You can buy it on Amazon. We'll have the link on this page, or you can find it on amazon.ca. Mark, good luck. This book is much needed. I just hope enough people see it to make a difference. Thanks for writing it.
2: Thank you very much, and I'm gonna Mark Stein does the forward. It's hilarious. That's oh, well, he's the best. That's great. <laughs> All right, there you have it, Mark. Great to see you. Thank you, Ezra. There Appreciate you have it.
0: it, Mark Morano. He's the boss of ClimateDepot.com, and the new book is called Green Fraud. Stay with us, Morehead. Hey, welcome back on my show, Friday. Jer writes. What does working tirelessly for the two Michaels mean exactly? Bending the knee more forcefully? The woke liberals and Democrats are no match for China. The world needs Trump now more than ever. Yeah, I mean, I watched that clip of Trudeau, and there was no action there. I mean, I know what you could do, and I'm not prescribing any of these. I'm just saying here's a laundry list. You could limit or reduce the number of children of Chinese Communist Party members who get to come to Canada to go to university. You could withdraw some Canadian diplomats from China and send some Chinese diplomats home from Canada. You could um, ban Huawei. You could even issue a demand that China uh, send home the two Michaels, like a demand, not just a please, please. Those are just, just a small list. Trudeau hasn't done any of that. But even worse, his ambassador hasn't said a word. Mitch writes... Joe Biden just fell again running up the stairs of Air Force One. I think they need to consider building a ramp for him. Yeah, he tripped three times going up the stairs when Donald Trump held on to some railing. There were huge stories everywhere about, oh, is he old? Is he infirm? And Biden stumbles. Oh, no, no. It was just the wind, they said. Thomas writes, Ezra, there are over 100 Canadians being detained in China. I know, look at any given moment, there are I've seen the math between 1000 and 2000 Canadians being detained around the world. And some of that is normal, some of that is Canadians who have committed real crimes around the world, often violent crimes or drug crimes. And some of them are fake, some of them are trumped up. Some of them are real. In almost all cases Canada tries to bring the prisoners home to have them serve out the sentence in Canada because often, you know, the the quality of the justice system in the prisons overseas is not that which Canadians are used to. I think it's a good idea to bring Canadians home, even the criminals, as long as they serve out their sentence in Canada. But that's the thing about Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. They're clearly not real criminals. They clearly were seized and abused. Their trials are not real. Uh, Justin Trudeau and the Liberals have gone to bat for, for example, Omar Khadr, an actual convicted terrorist war criminal murderer. They fought to bring Omar Khadr home. But they aren't doing a thing to bring the two Michaels home, are they? That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.